0: Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company and today I'm so delighted to be joined by a creator, writer and executive producer of Dollface, Jordan Weiss and I actually wanted to start by by talking about the way in which you create and write scenarios for your characters Um, because you've mentioned in the past that very early on in your career you got some great advice about always writing characters into situations that will take them out of their comfort zone. Like if a character is afraid of the dark, write them into a situation where they're in the dark and they're facing that and I feel like this show is such a great example of that you know, not only with Jules, but with the rest of the core group. And so when you were looking at season two and where you wanted to take the characters this season, um, how were you kind of approaching figuring out, well, what are their comfort level zones and how are we going to push them each individually outside of that?
1: Yeah. Um I think we, you know, you have to do so much work in the first season of a show to just introduce, especially with like an ensemble cast, like introduce like the, you know, this group of friends who are all of these people. And so it was really fun to get to in a second season, take what we set up in season one and kind of turn it on its head with a lot of the girls. So you know, Izzy being the most insecure character, let's put her in a situation that you would not typically associate with someone who's really insecure and give her this like awesome, amazing boyfriend and see how her insecurities that were really present in season one are actually more challenged by a good thing finally happening to her rather than something happening that sort of feeds into what her insecurity is telling her, which is, oh, you, you know, you're not good enough. You'll never be with someone. Um, And yes, sort of same with, um, with Brenda Song's character, Madison, she's so high functioning. She is sort of this, you know, perfect, smart, like really hardworking, incredibly driven character. Let's see what happens when she kind of gets like thrown off the horse and gets totally off, off her path. Um, And then with Jules, we, you know, Jules is being obviously pushed really out of her comfort zone all of season one in diving into her, uh, friendships and relationships with other women. And so we really wanted to turn that attention for Jules onto herself and kind of dive into the ways that she is even uncomfortable with her relationship with herself as, you know, a woman and a person and figuring out what she wants. And then, um, Stella, I loved the evolution where we took her at the end of season one of kind of finally figuring out that she wanted to be, you know applying herself a bit more and being taken a bit more seriously and going to business school but her character was one that like I loved so much that she was this fun loving party girl that I was like we we have to watch her character go through this journey where she finds a way to marry who she is and sort of like where we took her at the end of the first season and I think with what her job is in the second season we really I mean I think we did that. Yeah. And what's so great
0: is with having these four characters where you can really play them off one another as well, is the fact that you can have one character kind of going in a certain direction and that has an effect on all of the others. Um, and so you, are you always thinking as well about the reaction to an action? So like with Jules, it was that she needed to kind of show up for herself a little bit more. And then you have Madison on the opposite end of the spectrum where she needs to become a little bit less constricted. So there's kind of that movement in the same direction for both of those characters at the same time towards the middle.
1: A hundred percent. That was definitely intentional. I think it was a really beautiful thing for their friendship and for, you know, some of my real life friendships, when the thing that you really need to learn can be found in a friend. And I think that, you know, in the Madison needed to learn to let go a little bit more and Jules needed to learn to take the reins. And so having that answer be found in your best friend and you guys coming more um, towards each other's journeys to meet in the middle, I thought was a really kind of beautiful way to do both of their arcs and kind of keep them very connected because, um, they are, you know, their best friends, but also even just like more this, not so much in the show, but just in like my brain, I have always felt like Jules and Madison are sort of the two halves of my Personality, I like, I always love when people watch the show and they're like, oh, I'm a Stella mixed with Izzy or I'm a this one and this one. And so, I mean, at this point, um, I can find things about all of the characters that I relate to. But when I first wrote it, it did really feel like um, my, I used to say that uh, Madison was how people saw me and Jules was how I saw myself. <laughs>
0: I really love that. And when you were first writing that friendship dynamic, kind of going back to the beginning of season one, how did you find that really unique space in their friendship? Because it was something where you were writing these two characters that knew each other so well previously and had been incredibly close, but obviously hadn't been close to each other for a number of years. And so there was this real gap and this real distance. And yet you wrote it in such a beautiful way that really honored both of those sides of what that dynamic was as they kind of came back together and rekindled.
1: Yeah you know this is never a show where I want any of these women to be villains but at the same time like I want it to be a show where like the characters are allowed to like mess up and are allowed to have been a bad friend or made a bad decision or done something wrong and then they talk about it and work it out because that's how like actual friendship are friendships are. Like none of my friends are villains, but also none of them are perfect. And we do drive each other crazy. And I don't think there's anything wrong with um, showing all the very like real shades of that within female friendships. And I think it is part of what I set out to do in making a show about women and their friends that felt as nuanced as we get with like relationships, you know, because in a rom-com if people are fighting and then they get back together in the end, you are willing to go on that ride. Whereas sometimes I feel like in the media, I was watching with friends. It's like, as soon as someone does something wrong as a friend, you're like, well, that girl is now the villain of this story.
0: I also feel like that that idea of the different shades is also really true in terms of of self-awareness for these characters and there's moments where they have blind spots within themselves and they don't see certain behaviors that they're exhibiting or or certain kind of things that they're falling back on within themselves and yet you also allow them to have those journeys of of self-reflection and self-awareness and it feels like in the second season there's a lot more in the direction of self-awareness because they're starting to grow as characters both in terms of who they are as characters but also just age-wise, you know, that naturally brings that forth. Um, And what are some of the the spaces in which you really wanted to have more of that self-awareness? Because I think Izzy is such a great example of that in this season, when she steps back from a relationship because she realizes that she needs to do work on herself before she can be a partner to someone.
1: Yeah, I think that um, that kind of self-sabotage as the thing that causes a, I mean, friendships, but in this case, specifically a romantic relationship to implode is something that I have been through that so many of my friends have been through that I think is actually way more common than like, I got dumped out of nowhere. I got cheated on like that, but that also happens. But I just know so, um, so many of my, like my friends and I, we were just our own worst enemy with the, in, in especially in our early twenties where, you know, your relationship with yourself and not feeling good enough and worrying. And it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, I think I convinced a boyfriend to break up with me once because I just asked him so many times if he was going to, and he was like, well, I wasn't before, but now the, if you're on the 300th ass, maybe we should take time because there's something going on with you. Um, and so, you know, she, but you still sort of, it's self-awareness, but she also does sort of need her friends in the season to ultimately kind of snap her out of it. And I like, at one point, something I've had friends say to me that, uh, Shay Mitchell's character says to Izzy, she says, you know, if you, if you don't start being nicer to yourself, I'm going to beat the shit out of you, (laughs) which is like, just when you want to grab your friend and you're like, just love yourself as much as we love you. You're being so annoying.
0: Also, I love the song that we get to see Izzy perform in the show this season and wanted to ask you about that because I know that you wrote the lyrics and, and worked really closely in conjunction with the composer that, that wrote the music for it as well and was really interested in, in how you set about creating the lyrics as something that's a real external reflection of an internal journey for a character.
1: Yeah, I... Um... I had so much fun doing that. I'm like a theater nerd at heart. I grew up doing musicals and, like, especially kind of leaning all the way into like that Disney fairy tale, very cliche musical. In that way, I was like, I was Belle once in Beauty and the Beast. This is just weird. this interview goes completely off the rails, and I start listing roles I played in middle school. Um, but I, I felt I'd like again, I say I, I I relate to something in all of the characters we me and our showrunner, Michelle, and our group of writers write to everybody, but there was something I felt so close to in Izzy's story um, about this idea of I'm stuck with myself for the rest of my life and in like that fairy tale imagery that is like very classic of sort of a princess trapped in a tower like how that felt to me is like I'm I'm the tower like I am um you know that's the sort of chorus of the song is what magic power could come set me free when the terrible tower I'm trapped in is me and so that was sort of the first notion that I came up with as like a chorus and then ended up writing verses to go along with it. But, uh, it was, it was a fun experience. It was really, it was a lot more internal and emotional writing that I think, you know, when we're breaking the show, you're in a writer's room, or at least this year we were unfortunately on a zoom writer's room, but you're, you know, it's like, you're spitting back and forth. It's very high energy. Everyone's sort of joking around. And the song, it was like, Leaving the room one day and sort of just like being alone with my thoughts, being alone in my house and really kind of just letting my more vulnerable side come out, not um, attempting to be so silly and sarcastic about everything. And um, yeah, even though, I mean, Esther's so funny and the performance is great and light, the, the song is actually pretty heavy, like the lyrics. And so it was, I'm rambling now. It was a fun experience writing that.
0: I also feel like that episode is such a great example of, of the way that you take the magical realism and those elements within the show. um, And that kind of, shapes a little bit of what the voice of that episode is going to be. And it feels like each episode really has its own distinct identity and particularly that one. Um, and is it, is it something where like you kind of start to come up with the idea of like, well, what's going to be the voice of the episode? What's going to maybe be the magical realism element, or is it really just about starting to write the episode and then those things filtering in based on where their story's going?
1: Um, I knew I wanted to do something with fairy tales this season. I like had this sort of, concept of like the warped relationship that we have with or I say we the warped relationship I feel like I have with fairy tales As like I said I like grew up on these like I'm a 90s Disney kid I like grew up on all of these movies and I loved them but I also like looking back at them as an adult there they are not like the best moral lessons to be found like we do a riff sort of um like making jokes about the plot of The Little Mermaid and then after uh, we had shot over the summer. I was listening to a uh, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History, which is one of my all-time favorite podcasts, and he does three episodes about like basically everything that's wrong with the movie The Little Mermaid. Um, so yeah, I this is the only time in my life I can ever say this: me and Malcolm Gladwell on the same had the same idea, but um, he's a lot smarter than me. Uh, I knew I wanted to do something about that sort of like warped relationship that especially like women, my age that grew up with these stories um, have with fairy tales and do a spin on it through the lens of friendship and centering like the women and kind of being their own hero, being heroes for their friends rather than sort of waiting for your prince to come. And so that episode, uh, We knew we wanted to use fairy tales as a theme and then ended up doing like the song and the animation at the beginning felt like the most fun way to kind of lean into that homage. But we don't always come up with the magical realism that way. Sometimes it's like, okay, we have- an episode that is plot wise about this what is the magical realism we can come up with that will service this like emotional story point point? and other times they're more evergreen where like the idea of her being in a focus group is just an idea that I had had like for a while that we didn't get to use in season one that I was like oh let's let's find a place that it fits in season two
0: yeah. And thinking back to the experience of first starting to watch the the show in season one, what's great is that those magical realism moments, even at the very beginning, it never took you out of the story. It just always felt like a completely natural flow to the way that we were watching the show. Was that easy to find those transitions in and out of it early on where you really had to, to kind of introduce that concept to the audience and really have them come on the journey with you?
1: Um, we always have the magical realism come in at moments of I always I always say this but it's moments of emotional intensity like emotional high points for Jules when she's like peaked stressed out about a problem of being in one of those points in a story where a character comes to what am I going to do about this like curveball I've been thrown how am I going to handle the situation that is a lot of the times when the magical realisms come up so I feel like Having them track very well with the emotional high points of an episode it helps them feel more natural because they come in when you would expect them to, if that makes sense, as opposed to just like popping up when you had no idea, oh, she just was sitting there and all of a sudden there's like a talking cat. It's, it's when she's like upset about something um, or worried about something. And then in terms of the style, I mean, our pilot director in season one was a guy named Matt Spicer, who's really brilliant. And I definitely feel like him and I had a lot of the same references. Like we talked about Charlie Kaufman. We talked about like some Spike Jones, like just people who are really like masters of sort of grounded surrealism um, in terms of inspiration points for this. I referenced, I like love the way that they did magical realism and Ali McBeal. Um and so I feel like we uh were really on the same page as that. And so that style that he kind of helped established in the pilot has you know carried on. And you know we mechanatra and a, a bunch of amazing directors that we had in season two kind of uh, as well like putting their own spin on it.
0: And then, obviously, with with the fact that in this season there's kind of been a little bit more space to open up those scenes and those moments as well, because you can bring the other characters into it more now. Because, like you said, it's it's about a moment of emotional turmoil, usually stemming from Jules, but the other characters are kind of aware of those things and and they're in on the conversation and the dialogue with her as a character as well. So, did that really open up the scope creatively in terms of what you felt like you could do with those moments this season?
1: Yeah, we you know there was a lot of conversation about. Out, like oh who can see the cat lady but the cat lady's not not real and Jules never even really acknowledges like oh my god I'm talking to a cat so it felt like we can kind of bring the other girls in a very like fluid like not acknowledged way to sort of pull them in and for me that was indicative of when you are so close with your friends at a certain point they are well-versed with your neuroses um and we wanted it to be an evolution from season one to show that the girls had gotten closer. Um, But no, I, at, I, at no point was I interested in writing a scene where they all sit down and talk about the fact that they're having like a shared fever dream of a cat. Like that's, you know, the cat lady's not really there. (laughs)
0: And, you know, kind of infamously, the the series started from a writing sample. And so then once people were interested in developing it um, with the production team that you ended up working with, you know, you had to kind of very quickly conceptualize episode outlines, you know, and it, it sounds like the entire process going into the first season was very like fast and furious and like, okay, this is what we're doing now. Now we're shaping this bit. Now we're stepping into this because it was such a fast train that you jumped into. And with the second season, what was kind of the difference for you and how you approached that time before you went into pre-production, even and and the types of things that you really wanted to be able to figure out creatively with that extra time that you had?
1: Well, the extra time between seasons, there was this global pandemic happening I don't know if anyone else watching this was part of that um so it was really interesting where it was like there was more time to come up with stuff but also the world was changing so quickly and so the ideas of where do we want to start these characters and what is going to make sense for what the world looks like by the time we are able to go and shoot this was like a moving target so that was definitely an added challenge. And ultimately, you know, to be a glass half full person about the global pandemic, I suppose. I do think that uh, being able to like, have a time jump happen in the show for the characters and sort of use the pandemic and the way that we all had felt like lost time and use that as um, a way to start their stories in season two was you know, I think a way of making kind of lemonade out of lemons. It just, it didn't feel, I couldn't picture people tuning in like years later to watch a season that had picked up like five minutes after season one ended. That just didn't make sense to me.
0: Yeah, no, and I really loved that, that structure with the characters and it allowed a lot of growth. And with this season as well, you've been working with Michelle Nader, who's the showrunner for season two. Um, you know, and it's it's great as well because she comes from working with Kat Dennings a lot extensively in the past as well. Um, and I love the way that you described that relationship and that collaboration with her and really seeing her as a mentor as well, which is such a fantastic space to be in where you're collaborating as peers, but you're also learning from someone. And so what are the ways in which you're really kind of choosing? into what she's doing watching what she's doing and being able to learn from her at the same time as collaborating as peers together on this project
1: oh she's such an excellent leader michelle perfectly oscillates between those two priorities in a way that i don't think you could um necessarily learn by having someone explain it to you it's something you really just have to be observing and shadowing and i feel really lucky that i was in the position to be shadowing her this season and I mean, I'm pulling this off my desk. I love her so much. I, this is a doodle I made of the two of us. We, I, I drew us holding a candy bra because there's an episode where uh, Jules and Izzy are eating a candy bra because we, we couldn't stop joking about the fact that in a sex store, I would like be eating the edible underwear. Um, and so we, we talk about how our future production company name could be called Candy Bra Productions. So I, I framed this doodle for us um, uh, for a wrap gift. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, I also
0: feel like I've I've heard you mention that for this season, you had a really strong idea of of what the opening and what the final moment of the season was going to be. And so then structurally, what's that that process and that journey of just figuring out, well, we know what point A is, we know what point B is, and then how's that trajectory going to be for each of these characters, both individually and collectively, to get there?
1: Well, Michelle really liked this. She had this really clear, she went, she, in our first conversation, the scene, am I I allowed to give spoilers? I I hope you have seen the show. She pitched the scene that's in the finale where um, Jules is sort of running after someone. And then you realize it's actually herself and having this sort of confrontation. That's about her getting to more of like her authentic self and letting go of the old her. That was, um, a scene that Michelle pitched of like, what a cool way to use this magical realism device that this show gets to play with to have a character sort of like confront and let go of their old self. And her sort of the imagery that she was talking about of someone like chasing someone made me think of chasing someone through an airport. And I was like, well, why don't we have her chasing herself through an airport and we can use like an airport sort of motif as a way of starting the season because it kind of then reminded me of the bus terminal in the pilot. And I was like, oh, we can sort of evolve on this metaphor of she's on this bus of brokenhearted women to women taking flights to their futures. And so kind of starting and ending the season in a significant way at an airport and having that sort of, you know, taking off and letting go that the the metaphors that felt baked into an airport, both in magical realism and um, in real life uh, was kind of our initial bookend, um, first conversation that that we had.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that, that airport moment as well starts with the idea that she's initially going after Celeste, you know, and it's, it's a professional thing that she's trying to pursue. And I love the way that you've written that character, because it's something where she's not a perfect boss. She's not a perfect mentor. She's not a perfect friend to these women, but there's times where she really shows up for them as well. And, you know, it's like promoting jewels, kind of giving her that sense of, of self-worth and validation and seeing something in her. And we get the sense towards the end of the season that she's starting to see that in Izzy and there's going to be a trajectory there and sometimes she does say and do the wrong things and there's also the hilarious moment where she's very true to herself where she doesn't want to hug Jules even though she's proud (laughs) of her you know it's like it's like by not hugging her and, and not getting mad that's her expression of I'm really proud of you um you know and how are some of the ways in which you feel like you've gotten to really use her as a character who expresses herself very differently you know and and lives a lot very much in that central gray area all at the same time.
1: I mean, I love Mollin so much. She's absolutely one of my favorite performers that we get to work with on the show. And um, she's just so brilliant. And I think I like ruin every take by laughing. <laughs> she just has that character really, really cracks me up. Um, but no, I think, um, you know, that moment where she doesn't hug Jules, I don't think Jules is necessarily like a super touchy person in that way either. And so I kind of like, we... Michelle and I like loved that we wrote that episode together. Of like that feels like where they would have common ground of like both being relieved they don't have to hug and do the do the thing. But yeah, I think that. Um you know, Molin had this terrible, Celeste had this terrible thing happen to her in season one, finding out that her husband was having an affair. And I wanted to let her be upset about that and see the way that she dealt with it in season two, while also like not just going for the low hanging fruit of like these women are fighting over a guy and try to see, I think a little bit more realistically how someone in her position who is, you know, more mature and um, in a different phase of her life than these girls who she does see as people who she is a mentor to and someone they all look up to. You know, like, I don't know if a lot of people remember this, but Madison was obsessed with Celeste. Like, she comes in in episode four of the first season and helps them out um, on a womb project and they briefly meet. And she, like, says, you know, I've watched your... TED Talk, and I've listened to you on podcasts, and I so look up to you. So I think Celeste knowing the sort of power that she has, especially to someone like Madison, and choosing to find that like common ground with her rather than blaming her for anything that happened was the message that we wanted to put out there in doing a story where there was you know two women involved with the same man.
0: And you were talking a little bit before about, you know, that collaboration and working with the director on the first episode and really finding those moments of, of magical realism, you know, and, and this season you've had an all-female director team. And so I was interested in when you're in the writer's room and working with the rest of the team, how specific you want to start getting in terms of creating and shaping some of the visual details versus where it's really about kind of having, having an idea of certain essences and, and then working closely with the directors once they come on for their episode.
1: Um, I mean, all of the directors bring so much, uh, and I think they completely, they make us look good. They elevate, we write something and they elevate it and they make it even better than it was. But I can think of an example, um, Alethea Jones, she's directed episodes in both season one and season two. She was directing, um, episode eight, which is like the, the magical realism in the opening is like the improv troupe, um, that are sort of. Jules's neurosis of like not calling her mom back as like an improv game of like who in her family could be dead. Um, That is a playbook straight out of my brain. I always think if I have more than one miss call for my mom, I assume that someone has passed away. Um, But I, you know, I wrote um, the improv scene and um, I I wrote it with uh, Liz Alvarez, who I wrote that episode with. And Uh, we like knew the game of the scene, but we didn't exactly know how we would get into like, you know, the girls are sort of talking before and then suddenly they're there. And Alethea had such a cool, like visual way of doing that transition where we like actually put part of the curtain in Jules's kitchen set and shot it and then moved to where the improv stage was so that it really looked like it was all happening in one fluid motion with like a camera trick. And so I don't know if that's an example of what you were talking about, but you know, that the sort of way, I just love when the transitions feel really seamless rather than like, and now we're like poofing to this magical fantasy, like where it kind of feels like they're all just walking into it. Like um, I was just gonna reference Birdman, how that movie's all in one take. This is not at all like Birdman, but I think, someone watching this maybe gets what I'm trying to say so having directors with really excellent vision to bring that stuff to life in such a grounded way I do think heightens like what's there and makes it funnier and um you know I want to direct so it's also uh, was awesome to just I feel like I was the little kid just like following them around on set asking a million questions (laughs) trying to absorb and learn as much as I could this season
0: well, I love that, and I'm so excited for you directing, you know, episodes of this show or other projects in the future, and Candy Bra Productions thank you. <laughs> potentially.
1: Cross, oh, <laughs> bra, wraps, cross.
0: Yeah. Well, congratulations on such a great second season, and thank you so much, Jordan.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It was so lovely talking to you.